This is Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, Canada's national source for the latest agronomic research, crop production, and technology trends. You've tuned in to hear conversations about relevant research, best production practices, and everything in between. Spring into pre-emergent weed control action for canola and pulse crops with Edge Microactive. Powerful Group 3 action takes out the broadest assortment of grass and broadleaf weeds, including kochia, wild buckwheat, and barnyard grass, before they can take over your crop. Use Edge Microactive as a part of your herbicide layering program to help maximize yields today and manage resistance tomorrow. Go to ca.gowanco.com for details. Always read and follow label directions from Gowan Company. Welcome everyone. My name is Dylan Shirley and I'll be your host for this week's episode. Today I'm joined by Dr. John Gavlowski. He's the provincial entomologist in Manitoba with the Manitoba Agriculture and Resource Development. John, how are you today? I'm doing very good. That's awesome. So today uh, for this week's episode, we're going back to the prairies and we're going to be talking about how insects were uh, in general, this past growing season. But before we jump into the nitty gritty and finding out who was good and who was bad, uh, how are the growing conditions this year in Manitoba? Well, three words, uh, dry, number one, uh, hot, so above average, and um, windy. We, we um, were dry going into the fall. And then in addition to that, some areas received only about 40% of their normal snowfall. So not good. And then we had a dry spring and summer. So yeah, dry. Um, we were above average, uh, pretty much right across the province as far as growing degree days. And some areas, a lot of wind too. And we've had roughly three or four years in a row where it's been uh, drier than normal over the summer period. So that does have us impact on insects. Yeah, it seems like uh, across the entire prairies, that's the, uh, the story of the year weather-wise. So you kind of just uh, jumped into my next question. So how how are these conditions in general affecting insect populations? Yeah, and now some insects like moisture, others do better when it's on the drier side. And one that does better with drier conditions is grasshoppers, at least in North America. Grasshoppers generally do better if we get a series of um, hot, dry years consecutively like we've had. So these are perfect conditions for grasshoppers to build their populations. If we get uh, damper conditions, uh, some prolonged rainy periods, there's a fungal pathogen that can sometimes uh, take their populations out. And also uh, the the hot dry conditions uh, bring them to the adult stage sooner. Um, They've been persisting longer into the fall because the the frosts have been coming later. So more eggs get laid. Um, So there's several things that contribute to the grasshoppers building their populations when we get these uh, hot dry cycles. Definitely. And I I take it now we can talk about which of the big bads were the baddest this year, I guess. And I take it grasshoppers might be on that list. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I give you a few clues there. Um, Grasshoppers and flea beetles. They were, if I had to pick two of them that uh, really stood out, it would be grasshoppers and flea beetles. There were a few others that um, were certainly of concern, but more locally, not at the same scale as the grasshoppers and flea beetles. So things like diamondback, moth, um, aphids in some of our um, cereal grains, uh, alfalfa weevil, um, they were all more localized problems 
the grasshoppers and flea beetles, no matter what region you went to, there was issues with them. Right. So in terms of grasshoppers, what kind of species were people seeing out in their fields and what were kind of the results of these maybe increased populations on their uh, harvest or their yields? Yeah, it was a really interesting year for somebody who's um, interested in grasshopper taxonomy. Now in Manitoba, we've got roughly 85 species of grasshoppers, so quite a few. There's four of those 85 we consider potential pest species. And usually it's one or two that really dominate. This year there was three, and even that fourth potential pest species we were seeing, but the, the ones that we were seeing the most were two-striped and migratory. Uh, they're both uh, generalists and what they feed on. So they feed on a lot of different crops and they can build their populations up uh, quite a bit when we get the right conditions like we've been having. Now, another one that we saw more of than we're used to seeing is the clear-winged grasshopper. Um, even though it's called clear-winged grasshopper, it does have big black dots on its forewings. So it's kind of a, um, maybe not the most appropriate name. Uh, and and it, uh, it tends to be a bit smaller than our two-striped grasshoppers. They're a grass specialist. So they will feed on cereal grains, forest grasses. They will not uh, feed on most broadleaf plants. So um, they were abundant in pockets. And then we did have some Packard grasshoppers in the Northwest. Um, they like very dry conditions. Uh, we don't usually see as many of them, but they were making an appearance in the Northwest. So all four of our potential pest species were uh, on the radar this year, at least somewhere. Yikes. That's a group of four that I would not want to see all together, especially in uh, the kind of growing season that we had this past year. So going on to I, what I suspect was the other big bad this year, and that's flea beetles. So how were flea beetle populations this year in Manitoba? We've had chronically high flea beetle populations for uh, quite a few years now. And what compounds the problem really is the growing conditions. Uh, if all, all the canola seed has a seed treatment on it. And you should be getting about three to maybe four weeks of protection from that seed treatment from the day you seed the crop. Now, if you seed and the ground is dry or it's cold soil and the seed sits there, that, that clock is ticking. And we had situations where people seeded and three or four weeks later, their crop was barely out of the ground and we had little tiny seedlings still and the seed treatment is wearing out. Case like that, if there's high flea beetle populations around, which there was this year, you're, you're doing foliar spraying to protect the crop. On a hot, calm, sunny day in late May or June when the seed treatment is worn out, uh, they can do a lot of damage to a field. They, they can put you in a reseeding situation if they get the right conditions and populations are high enough and that did happen. We did have um, people, at least in several regions, um, the, the Northwest, Interlake, Eastern region, we had reports from all those areas of people reseeding because of flea beetle damage. Um, if you can get your crop from seeding to the three to four leaf stage in about three to four weeks, you probably don't have to be worrying about foliar sprays. But again, that just wasn't happening this year because of uh, the conditions and the high flea beetle populations. 
Now with flea beetles, is, is it both populations that are kind of reoccurring in Manitoba or is it one over top that's dominating the other? So yeah, flea beetles, we do have different species as well. We've got crucifer flea beetles and we've got striped flea beetles. And we, we do have um, a fairly good mix of both in most areas of Manitoba. You see them, um, the mix of uh, what species will dominate at different times. Normally, early in the season, it's dominantly striped. So April until about mid to late May, um, most fields is probably going to be mainly striped. Crucifer flea beetle comes out a bit later. Often once we get into June, uh, crucifer in, in some areas is still the dominant species. There is good evidence showing that overall across the prairies, striped flea beetles are becoming um, more dominant in that ratio. And that might be because the seed treatments, the neonicotinoid based seed treatments that we're using, they, they, they will kill both, but they will kill crucifer better than they kill striped. It's not resistance. They just naturally kill the crucifer flea beetles better. Oh, that is very interesting to know. So I just want to jump a little bit back here in time, I guess. So when you finished your insect summary in 2020, uh, I imagine the insects that you were kind of concerned about was a bit different uh, than what we saw this past year. And so were there any insects that were of concern in 2020 that just really didn't show up at all or weren't really a big pest in 2021? Things always differ from year to year and sometimes quite dramatically. And one that really stands out that differed between the two years is armyworms. And we're not talking Bertha armyworm that the canola growers all know. We're talking about armyworm, or some people call it cereal armyworm, which prefers actually your, your grassy plants, your small grains, your forage grasses. It was a big problem in 2020. Um, it's an insect that doesn't overwinter here. It, it actually migrates up. It's a true migration. It's not just randomly being blown. They will migrate like monarch butterflies do from the south to the north. And in um, 2020, we had a big population migrate in. Um, it, and it was widespread. Sometimes they come in and it's just part of the province, maybe the eastern part that gets them and the rest of the province isn't so bad. 2020, it was right across the province. A lot of spraying happening in um, uh, small grain cereals, forage grasses. It was a real problem. Um, in 2021, we put up pheromone baited traps to try to detect when they're arriving. Uh, it was something we haven't done in the past. We've monitored other insects like diamondback moth and Bertha armyworm, but we decided we put up armyworm traps in 2021. Pretty much nothing arrived. Um, we had very low counts in our traps. I had no reports of the larva from anybody. It was a totally different year between the two for armyworms. Now, is it because just where they migrate from, maybe they weren't in high population or was there potentially something else at play there? Yeah, that's a good question. And um, it can be either the populations further south or it can be just the migration patterns in that particular year. And there, there were some armyworm issues in some more southern locales last year. And I think it was more, they just did not migrate as far north as Manitoba. And things seemed to stay more east and south. 
and they just did not advance into Manitoba like, like they did the previous year. Well, I mean, that's a kind of good thing to hear that uh, there wasn't a third big bad from uh, this past year. So now just let's hop into the uh, specific uh, crop types and just get a general summary of what was kind of happening in there. So uh, first, I'd like to talk about the cereals. You kind of already mentioned that aphids were uh, somewhat of an issue, but were were there any other insects um, in cereals this past year? Aphids were the main one of concern. Uh, there was a, a little bit of uh, cutworm and wireworm activity, but minor compared to, um, at least with the cutworms, compared to past years, the levels seem to be um, decrease, decreasing with the cutworms. Uh, we had a few really bad years and then things seemed to peak and uh, now we seem to be on the downward side, which is good. Hope that trend continues. Uh, aphids were the dominant issue uh, pest-wise in the small grains. Um, there's a couple different species and they, they also move in from the south. Now it's not a migration like with the army worms, they get blown in by winds. And if the winds blow and drop them in an area, they can become a problem. And we saw aphids mainly, it was more the eastern, central and southwest parts of Manitoba that uh, had the higher aphid issues. And it was mainly late June to late July. And some fields didn't need to get sprayed, some people I think when they were out uh, scouting for uh, fusarium risk, they were noticing aphids and they were spraying or tank mixing in an insecticide. The other thing regarding the aphids though, that I should mention, some people were also noticing uh, quite high levels of uh, some natural enemies. And there's three that I was getting reports of, uh, lady beetles, and spe uh, almost specifically lady beetle larvae, the juvenile stage was looked like little blackish alligators. Um, lacewing larvae and hoverfly larvae. Now, a lot of the, the agronomists, and we've been trying to train them on to identifying some of these beneficial insects, they seem to know the lady beetle larvae and the lacewing larvae pretty good. But I did have some agronomists sending me photos of the hoverfly larvae, wondering, are these a pest? Are they going to be eating our crop? Because they, they almost look like a little slug. And uh, some people were quite confused with the hoverfly larvae. Um, they're a predator. They're feeding just on the aphids in the crop. They will not feed on the crop at all. Uh, so you want those things, but they're one that we need to do a bit more extension on with the hoverfly larva. Yeah. And uh, I know their, their uh, listeners at home can't actually see the shirt that you're wearing, but John is uh, adorned by the Field Heroes logo on his shirt. And I would highly suggest uh, everyone listening, go to Field Heroes and maybe learn what a hoverfly larva actually looks like and the great uh, work that they're doing in your uh, fields. Uh, one last insect I just want to briefly touch on um, is wheat midge, because we hear about wheat midge a lot um, in uh, some other uh, areas of the, of the country. Uh, was wheat midge any big issue in Manitoba this past year? I had no reports of spraying of wheat midge, and as far as I know, it, it didn't have any major economic impacts. Um, now, we did put up some pheromone baited traps. Um, uh, some people were putting up these, uh, um, like a delta trap, a, a diamond shaped trap with a uh, sticky bottom in them and you can catch the wheat midge adults. Problem is we can't really correlate numbers with uh, how much damage you're going to get. It can tell you that you've got them in your field. They're starting to move in, lay eggs, but how bad the damage is 
based on the trap, we really don't know. So we still have to go out there at night and try to assess, okay, how bad is this? Uh, but as mentioned, I didn't have any reports of people having to control the wheat midge in Manitoba. Well, that's, that's very good to hear. Moving along now, we'll hop into uh, canola. We've already discussed uh, flea beetles and the, the serious damage that they can inflict when populations are as severe as they were in Manitoba this past year. Uh, but what other uh, insects were at play uh, this past year? Diamondback moth was the other one in canola that uh, did get some uh, attention and some spraying. And it moved in a little bit later. It was more about mid-June um, to about mid, sorry, mid-July till about mid-August that it became an issue. Now we had pheromone beta traps up uh, across the province. Uh, we had 98 traps up uh, this past year and we got some, I would call them maybe moderate counts in a few of our traps. It was very variable with the, the traps though. Uh, we'd have a few, like I said, more moderate counts in a region and then quite a few low counts. So we weren't really expecting um, too high populations of the larva or anything that would be uh, too significant. But again, um, populations did pick up in later July, early August, and we, we did have some fields that were sprays. Um, more the, the high populations were more in the eastern interlake and a little bit into the central region. That's where we seem to have our, our high population. So it wasn't right across the province. The western part of the province, um, very little in the way of reports of diamondback moth. It was more central and the eastern part. And it's another insect that gets blown in. It uh, doesn't overwinter well here at all. It gets blown in. And sometimes it's just where they get deposited by the winds. Yeah, a bit of a, the worst kind of lottery that you could win and have a bunch of dime back blown in your field. That's the way it goes. Now, I, I guess maybe on a positive note with them, I did have reports of people seeing a lot of green lacewing larvae in the canola fields at about the same time the diamondbacks were uh, peaking. So there were some good guys at work there that were uh, making a meal out of some of the diamondback. Again, another great field hero that uh, I'm sure we could talk at length about, but I want to keep talking about maybe some of the bad bugs. Um, okay. And we talked about one army worm that didn't show up uh, in 2021, but uh, did Bertha uh, make an appearance this past year? It was not a year for army worms. Um, no, Bertha army worm, I had no reports of any um, high populations or economic damage in canola. Um, we had a hundred of our pheromone beta traps set up across the province for Bertha armyworm last year and uh, counts for all low. Uh, anything under 300 cumulative moths over a roughly six week trapping period, we consider low risk and everything stayed below that. So um, yeah, our forecast hit it right. Uh, we really didn't have economic damage from Bertha armyworm. Well, it sounds like you guys are definitely... Uh doing the right thing, you know, scouting and putting up the, the pheromone beta traps and uh, actually, yeah, predicting and forecasting when they might actually show up or if they will at all. What were our returns on that field last year? Would canola be good? What about barley on the north quarter? When do we seed this section? Or if we switch to lentils, what would our profit margin be? Is Jamie working on the South Farm today? What product did Kelly spray last week? What price did we lock in at? How much wheat is left to sell? Is our cost of production better than last year? Your farm has lots going on. Keep it simple with Ag Expert Field Management Software. Try Ag Expert Field today. 
It's the easy way to manage your farm. Visit agexpert.ca. Now, one last one that uh, I think a lot of canola growers can uh, relate to and they know what to look for is cabbage seed pod weevil. Now, were you guys on the lookout for cabbage seed pod weevil this past year? We were, and in Manitoba, it's probably less well-known than further west in the prairies. It's a newer insect here. It first was found in Manitoba in 2017. And since then, we've been doing these surveys where we go out and we'll do uh, three sets of 25 sweeps in a field. And we usually target um, anywhere from about 20 to 30 fields in our survey. We did 23 fields this year. And so we did our 75 sweeps. We had a total of eight weevils out of the 23 fields. So the, the bottom line is they are present. If you look hard enough, you can probably find them, but they're at such low levels that um, they're not an economic threat here currently. Now, just to give you an idea what economic levels are, the threshold for cabbage seed pod weevil is 25 to 40 weevils in 10 sweeps. We're having trouble finding even one in 75 sweeps in most fields we go into. So they're here, they're present, but they just haven't really, the population hasn't expanded to something that at present is economical. It's something that we'll, we will be keeping an eye on though. Um, should we ever get into a situation where, where we can consistently find them in a field, uh, then we would start to um, maybe encourage the growers. You need to be out there scouting. It's, it's good to be scouting regardless, to be looking, but there would be more urgency if we were getting uh, towards those economic levels. Yeah, very, very good point. I mean, uh, producers and farmers are already busy as, as it is. So maybe they don't need to go out and scout every single night for the big, bad cabbage seed pod weevil, but it is good to know that it is in Manitoba and producers might need to be aware of it within, you know, the next five, 10 years or something like that. Yeah. The, the other thing I should mention about them right now is just the Western part of the province. We're finding them. And in fact, this year we did have a fairly significant range expansion. We did find a few in the Gladstone area. And that's the furthest east we've ever found them. It's always been more Western Manitoba. Good to know. So let's uh, move along here in our, our uh, field crop checklist here. So uh, on my next list, we have pulses. So uh, includes everything from peas and favamines and everything in between. So uh, what were insect populations in these kind of crops this past year? Well, generally, um, grasshoppers and some of them were an issue, especially if, if you consider soybeans a pulse uh, and soybeans and a bit in dry beans. Um, there's a, a sap feeding insect called ligus bug that can pierce the, uh, the, the seeds and uh, feed on the juice. So they will result in either a shriveled seed or they'll put a brown spot on a seed. And th this was uh, somewhat of an issue in dry beans. Um, we did have a shipment that was uh, set for Europe that uh, had some problems because of ligus bug damage. Uh, and what ligus bug does when they put their beak into the seed, they inject a bit of digestive enzymes and then they suck up the juice. Those enzymes will cause a brown spot on the seed. So something like navy beans, a nice white bean, little brown spots on it uh, will result in uh, the, the, the grade being down. So 
Uh, there, there's very little tolerance for it. So they were an issue in, in Paul's Cross, not widespread, but uh, we did have some minor issues with them. Very interesting. Now, my supervisor would be very remiss if I did not ask about her research uh, insect from her master's, and that's the pea leaf weevil. How were weevils this past year uh, in uh, peas and fava bean? Just like the cabbage seed pod weevil, pea leaf weevil is a newer weevil in Manitoba. We first found it in 2019, and um, so we've been surveying for it since as well. 2019, we found it uh, in the Northwest. It was a keen agronomist actually, who was scouting in September, uh, just looking at what was happening on some of the uh, pea regrowth and, and noticed some weevils and set them in and they were pea leaf weevil. So we've been uh, checking since uh, 2020. Um, everything that was caught was in that Northwest region. So that Swan River and um, Swan River Valley area, that was, where we were fine, that seemed to be the hot spot. This past year, the range expanded a little bit. Uh, we did have some weevils sent in from Sinclair, Manitoba, which is in the southwest, that were positive as pea leaf weevil. And uh, I, again, a keen agronomist in the fall was collecting weevils off of uh, peas and fava beans as far um, east as about Holland, Manitoba, which is into, just getting into the central region of Manitoba. So the Holland, Cypress River area, uh, we did have some samples from there. So almost the same story as with cabbage seed pod weevil is here. It's probably not an economical threat currently, but it is present. Uh, higher levels and much easier to find in the Northwest than the other regions. Um, but uh, something we'll just have to keep an eye on as they progress across the province. It's very good to hear that there are a good number of Keenan agronomists in Manitoba that are doing the great work and scouting for these uh, potentially new and uh, bad insects that are, are finding their way into Manitoba. Yeah, I can't give them enough credit because we put up our, our pheromone baited traps. We had pheromone baited pitfall traps for pea leaf weevil, but and they didn't, and we did catch some in those. But really, the, the range expansion, a lot of the good data that we're getting, it, it is keen agronomists who know that we're looking for them and are just finding them while they're out there doing their field scouting. And when agronomists are finding things of interest like that and they send it into us, that is immensely helpful. I can only imagine, you know, having uh, a few more eyes and arms out there uh, scouting and looking in for uh, what might be in different fields. Uh, so the last uh, main crop I just want to touch on before we get into a few other crops is uh, corn, you know, for the people that live in around Tabor, Alberta, and everyone else in Ontario. Uh, so how is corn this past year for insects uh, in Manitoba? Overall, not too bad. Uh, again, a little bit of uh, cutworm activity in the spring, but uh, nothing as large as a few years ago when the cutworms were more at their peak. One interesting thing that we found, though, was an insect called corn rootworm. And we did notice uh, a few fields that uh, come late summer were starting to lodge. So the corn was actually falling over. And uh, one field that we went into, this was um, near Miami, Manitoba, in the central region. It, the lodging was so bad, it was hard for them to harvest that field. The plants were falling over. And when we pulled up the plants, there was virtually no root system left. The, the roots had been eaten out by an insect called corn rootworm. 
we collected a whole bunch of them. The beetles were flying all over the place at that time. Um, they overwinter as an egg and the larvae do a lot of feeding damage on the roots early in the season. And uh, later in the season, you have the adult beetles present and we, we could find the beetles all over the place. So they were obviously the problem, um, eating away at the roots. And there's different species of this corn rootworm. There's a Northern corn rootworm and there's a Western corn rootworm. And we first found Northern corn rootworm in Manitoba in 2015. So we've known we've had it for a few years and we've been trying to encourage the growers. Um, if you're growing uh, field corn, rotate. Do not grow corn on the same field year after year after year after year, which some people like to do. Uh, it's convenient for them to do so, for their, especially people with livestock. Problem you run into, I mentioned that they overwinter as an egg. They hatch out in the spring as a really small little larva. They can't move far. If there's no corn there, there's nothing else that they'll feed on, they die. So crop rotation can be 100% effective, unless of course you've got volunteer corn coming up. But if you can eliminate the volunteer corn, crop rotation, 100% effective. Rootworm population gone. But there's enough people that don't like to rotate their corn or, or it's not convenient for them to do so, I guess. Um, and we run into these issues. Now, the, there was another population further west that we, we um, looked at. It was in the Suris area. Until this time, as far as I knew, we just had northern corn rootworm, which we'd found like uh, back in 2015. Uh, when we went to that field near Suris, I was really surprised. There was quite a few western corn rootworm in there as well. That's the first time that species has ever been found in Manitoba. So now we know we have both northern and western corn rootworm, both species. So we're encouraging anyone growing corn, try to get a rotation going where you're, you're breaking that cycle. And just for those uh, corn growers in Manitoba, um, what do these rootworms look like as adults? And that's a really good question because we call them corn rootworms, but they're actually a beetle as an adult. And the, now the northern corn rootworm, it can be either green or I'll say kind of yellowish green. Sometimes they're closer to a yellow, other times more of a vibrant green beetle. The Western corn rootworm is always yellow with black. And depending on whether they're male or female, they may have either uh, will look like three black stripes down their yellow body, or it may look like just one solid black patch where those stripes have merged. So that's what they look like. And you would notice those, um, usually August is a good time to look. And a good place to look is on the silks. They seem to like to, um, be, to go to the silks to feed in August, early September. So that's a good time to be looking for them. You can put up sticky traps if you want to try to randomly trap them. We were doing a little bit of that last year. You do catch some that way, but a good way to do it is just go into your corn and shake some of the silks over a tree or something and see if any of these green or yellow and black beetles are falling out of the silks. And if they are, that could be corn rootworm, get it checked out. If you're easily finding them, like on most silks that you shake, you've probably got a problem and uh, you probably want to start considering a rotation. Well, hopefully for anyone that did find them this past year, that kind of, you know, sounds the alarm and uh, hopefully they do take the, uh, the appropriate actions there. Another uh, kind of, I guess not a specialty, but maybe a forage, let's say, uh, in alfalfa. Um, was there anything 
of note in Alfalfa this past year? Well, one thing that we uh, dealt with a little bit, uh, especially more in the eastern interlake part of the central region, was alfalfa weevil. And alfalfa weevil and other weevils, also a fairly small beetle with a snout on it, and they've got uh, tiny green larvae. So weevil larvae typically are um, legless, kind of grub-like, but legless. They don't move far. And the alfalfa weevil is easy to identify. It's green with a white stripe and no visible legs on them. And they will often cluster at the top of the plants. They feed away up there. And you'll see almost a very white sheen uh, across the field if they're very abundant from all the, the feeding they're doing at the tops of the plants. A lot of years they're kept in check. There's a, a few parasitic wasps that are really good at keeping them in check. One's called Bathyplectes. And we know we've got that in Manitoba. Um, for the most part, it's been doing a good job keeping them in check, but you, every now and then you do get some of these resurgences of the uh, alfalfa weevil population. And that did happen again in more the eastern interlake region this year. So there was a little bit of spraying for alfalfa weevil, but also a lot of people, especially the, the dairy, um, people growing alfalfa for uh, dairy, they were cutting their crop early, a little bit earlier than they normally would. Because again, these are a, a, a legless um, larva that really can't move far. And when you cut that crop a bit early, uh, the weevil larva often will starve or desiccate. And that's usually enough to knock the population out. Plus it gets your crop off before it gives the weevils a chance to do more damage. So some people were managing it that way, just cutting a bit on the early side. Definitely. Just to round out here, because there's a bunch of great information in the summary that you had posted uh, that we'll link uh, with this episode. But were, were there any other insects or any kind of neat trends that you might have seen uh, this past year? Well, as far as trends, like I said, grasshoppers going up. If we get another hot, dry year, uh, like we did um, last year, I would say really keep an eye on the grasshoppers. Cutworms were going down, so that's a good thing. That's probably natural enemy driven. It's hard to know all the factors, but that's a good one. Flea beetles chronically high. Uh, they've been sort of stuck at this high level for a long time. And I don't see that changing. There's, we, we don't, we can't pinpoint a natural enemy or two like we can with some of the other insects and say, this one over time should take it down. Um, so if we get another dry, challenging spring, as far as the growing conditions go, the flea beetles could be a challenge. What we need is a uh, some good rain and some good, um, soil temperature conditions where we can get the canola after that quick start. But if we don't get that, flea beetles I see as potential challenge. Grasshoppers, if it's hot and dry, um, those are the ones going into next year that uh, trend-wise I'm saying uh, still keep an eye on. And who knows what the winds will bring in. So we'll still be looking for things like diamondback moth and army worms. Now, I don't want to put you on the spot, but you were given a magic ball that you could look uh, more into the future. Now you already kind of talked about the grasshoppers and flea beetles that are, you know, unfortunately going to be another perennial high damaging pests, but is there anything else based on this past year that you think might become, you know, more of a problem for producers and growers next year? The other one I would say really keep an eye, if you're a corn grower, corn rootworm, especially if you're uh, growing corn for livestock and you have been um, growing corn on the same land year after year after year, um, start to take that one really seriously. 
Um, again, we did see some fields this year where it was hard for those growers to harvest. It, the corn was leaning. It, it had very little root system. And uh, newer pests in Manitoba, um, hopefully over time, um, natural enemies and just uh, shifts in maybe production practices can help regulate it. But uh, newer insects that um, seem to be increasing in the amount of damage they're doing year after year. So that's another one that uh, even though it's still fairly new, I think we wanna keep an eye on because uh, they've had some really um, bad problems with it in some of the Eastern provinces. Ontario, Quebec has been established there for a long time and it's, it's done some significant damage. And in Ontario this past year, um, some of the, uh, the, the BT corn that they grow to try to control uh, the corn rootworm, the rootworms have become resistant to it in a few isolated areas. So the technologies that are available aren't always foolproof and uh, yeah, so take that one seriously and maybe consider um, even every few years if there's a way you can get something else into that rotation. Well, that's a very good tip. And uh, hopefully, you know, we don't see uh, resistance at all for uh, Manitoba, but it seems like we already have uh, some backup plans and other uh, good management practices that we can use to manage this uh, potentially increasing pests in corn. So, John, I'd like to thank you for joining me today. Uh, where can our listeners find you and contact you if they find something uh, of note or interest in their fields? So I'm based out of Carmen, Manitoba. That's where I'm located. And uh, they can phone me, email me. Um, let me know if you found something of interest. We've got a lot of resources uh, posted on our website, a lot of fact sheets. So a lot of information there. Um, and also through our Field Heroes program, there's a lot of good information that they can look up as well. Great. Well, today I was joined by Dr. John Gowlowski, the provincial entomologist out of Manitoba. John, thank you so much for joining me today. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager. To catch up on all of our other episodes, visit topcropmanager.com slash podcasts.